Part 5. Men are from Africa. Women are from Africa. Quote, The sooner we accept the basic differences between men and women, the sooner we can stop arguing about it and start having sex. Unquote. Dr. Stephen Colbert, DFA. Permeating the standard narrative of human sexual evolution is the depressing claim that men and women always have been and always will be locked in erotic conflict. The war between the sexes is said to be built into our evolved sexuality. Men wants lots of no-strings lovers, while women want just a few partners with as many strings as possible. If a man agrees to be roped into a relationship, the narrative tells us, he'll be hell-bent on making sure his mate isn't risking his genetic investment by accepting deposits from other men, as it were. Extreme as it sounds, this is no overstatement. In his classic 1972 paper on parental investment, biologist Robert Travers remarked, quote, one can, in effect, treat the sexes as if they were different species, the opposite sex being a resource relevant to producing maximum surviving offsprings. Unquote. In other words, men and women have such conflicting agendas when it comes to reproduction that we are essentially predators of one another's interests. In The Moral Animal, Robert Wright laments, Quote, a basic underlying dynamic between men and women is mutual exploitation. They seem at times designed to make each other miserable. Unquote. Don't believe it. We aren't designed to make each other miserable. This view holds evolution responsible for the mismatch between our evolved predispositions in the post-agricultural socio-economic world we find ourselves in. The assertion that human beings are naturally monogamous is not just a lie. It's a lie most Western societies insist we keep telling each other. There's no denying that men and women are different, but we are hardly different species or from different planets or designed to torment one another. In fact, the interlocking nature of our differences testifies to our profound mutuality. Let's look at some of the ways in which male and female erotic interests, perspectives, and capacities converge, intersect, and overlap, showing how each of us is a fragment of a greater unity. Chapter 20 on Mona Lisa's Mind Quote, Do I contradict myself? Very well then, I contradict myself. I am large, 
I contain multitudes, unquote. By Walt Whitman, Song of Myself. Faced with the mysteries of women, Simon Freud, who seemed to have an answer for everything else, came up empty. Quote, Despite my 30 years of research into the feminine soul, he wrote, I have not yet been able to answer the great question that has never been answered, what does a woman want? Unquote. It's no accident that what the BBC calls the most famous image in the history of art is a study of the inscrutable fem feminine created by a homosexual male artist. For centuries, men have been wondering what Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa was thinking. Is she smiling? Is she angry? Disappointed? Unwell? Nauseated? Sad? Shy? Turned on? None of the above? Probably closer to all of the above. Does she contradict herself? Very well then. The Mona Lisa is large, like all women, but more, like all that is feminine, she reflects every phase of the moon. She contains multitudes. Our journey into a deeper understanding of the feminine soul begins in a muddy field in the English countryside. In the early 1990s, neuroscientist Keith Kendrick and his colleagues exchanged that season's newborn sheep and goats. The baby sheep were raised by adult goats and vice versa. Upon reaching sexual maturity a few years later, the animals were reunited with their own species and their mating behavior was observed. The females adopted a love-the-one-you're-with approach, showing themselves willing to mate with males of either species. But the males, even after being back with their own species for three years, would mate only with the species with which they were raised. Research like this suggests strong differences in degrees of, quote, erotic plasticity or changeability in the males and females of many species, including ours. The human female's sexual behavior is typically far more malleable than the male's. Greater erotic plasticity leads most women to experience more variation in their sexuality than men typically do. And women's sexual behavior is far more responsive to social pressure. This greater plasticity could manifest through changes in whom a woman wants, in how much she wants him, her, or them, and in how she expresses her desire. Young males pass through a brief period in which their sexuality is like hot wax waiting to be imprinted. But the wax soon cools and solidifies, leaving the imprint for life. For males, females rather, the wax appears to stay soft and malleable throughout their lives. This greater erotic plasticity appears to manifest in women's more holistic responses to sexual imagery and thoughts. In 2006, psychologist Meredith Shivers set up an experiment where she showed a variety of sexual videos to men and women, 
both straight and gay. The videos included a wide range of possible erotic configurations, man, woman, man to man, woman to woman, lone man masturbating, lone woman masturbating, a muscular guy walking naked on the beach, a fit woman working out in the nude. To top it all off, she also included a short film clip of Bonobo's mating. While her subjects were being buff buffeted by this onslaught of varied eroticism, they had a keypad where they would indicate how turned on they felt. In addition, their genitals were wired up to plethysmographs. Isn't that illegal? No, a plethysmograph isn't a torture device or a dinosaur for that matter. It measures blood flow to the genitals, a surefire indicator that the body is getting ready for love. Think of it as an erotic lie detector. What did Shivers find? Gay or straight, the men were predictable. The things that turned them on were what you'd expect. The straight guys responded to anything involving naked women, but were left cold when only men were on display. The gay guys were similarly consistent, though at 180 degrees. And both straight and gay men indicated with the keypad that their genital blood flow was saying. As it turns out, men can think both with heads at once, as long as both are thinking the same thing. The women, the female subjects, on the other hand, were the very picture of inscrutability. Regardless of sexual orientation, most of them had the plethysmograph's needle twitching over just about everything they saw, whether they were watching men with men, women with women, the guy on the beach, the women in the gym, or bonobos in the zoo. Their genital blood was pumping. But unlike the man, unlike the men, many of the women reported via the keypad that they weren't turned on. As Daniel Bergner reported in a study in the New York Times, quote, with the women, mind and genitals seemed scarcely to belong in the same person. Unquote. Watching both the lesbians and gay male couple, the straight women's vaginal blood flow indicated more arousal than they confessed on the keypad. Watching good old-fashioned vanilla heterosexual couplings, everything flipped and they claimed more arousal than their bodies indicated. Straight or gay, the women reported almost no response to the hot bonobo-on-bonobo bonobo action, though again, their bodily reactions suggested they kind of like it. This disconnect between what these women experienced on a physical level and what they consciously registered is precisely what the theory of differential erotic plasticity predicts. It could well be that the price of women's greater erotic flexibility is more difficulty and knowing, and depending on what cultural restrictions may be involved in accepting what they're feeling. This is worth keeping in mind when considering why so many women report lack of interest in sex or difficulties in reaching orgasm.